Do you look back at your young adulthood and wish you had had more guidance, more tools, more empowerment? Today's show looks at how we can help change the picture for our future adults. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 308 and my guest is Jeff Lieberman. Jeff is quite an individual and the work he is doing now with young adults is so inspiring to me that I felt like an over-enthusiastic little dog in this conversation. I had revelations about myself. I had revelations about parenting. Uh, It was just so exciting and so deeply rewarding to have this conversation. It's all, that's all I can say because what Jeff is doing, you know, I often talk about making your mess, your message, Jeff is taking everything he has learned, not just from the four degrees at MIT, physics, math, and mechanical engineering and robotics, not just the work he's done on the Discovery Channel, not the work he's done necessarily only in large-scale art for 15 years, uh, but in his personal life, and he's taken everything and decided to use it for one of the most fantastic causes, which is to help young adults find themselves, connect to each other, feel a sense of the world being bigger than them while being very important in the world and flourishing without getting to 40 and then needing to break a whole bunch of uh, patterns and programming Uh, that have woken us up one day all kinds of sad and worried about where our life is going. Uh, So, I mean, you will hear from Jeff talking about this incredible camp that he has uh, launched this year uh, with much, much more to come uh, in both the camp format and location itself but also in online resources for young adults you'll get a window into just how exciting it is that uh, we are able to give our young adults this kind of time in their lives. And, uh, yeah, (laughs) I'm just going to let the conversation happen. But you will totally hear my overexcited puppy vibes in certain parts of this. And, uh, And I've been reflecting on it ever since. So... That'll take place in just a little minute. I want to thank the people that help me put this show on every single week. And those two wonderful companies this week are Oz Climate, our major sponsor this year. Please do not wait until the heavy, humid situation of January, February here in the east coast of Australia uh, and get your dehumidifiers now. You have 10% off with the code LOTOXLIFE. There were a lot of out of stocks last year because everybody needed them when it just started raining every single day. 
this is the kind of investment you make as a preventative strategy, not when the poop hits the fan and then you can't find one anywhere because then you end up having to compromise on the type of brand, the type of water pulling capacity you end up getting. Please take a look at the Oz Climate range. Their products are fantastic. Everything from their little compact ones that you can put in a a study or a bathroom to keep the humidity down and stop mold from growing right through to the big kahuna units that you can run in a living dining kitchen open plan situation. Uh, I am uh, never going to live without a dehumidifier again. As soon as the humidity hits 55, 60% or more, and you have a hygrometer, which is a tool that can help you assess that. You just stick it on your fridge, a digital one. It'll tell you all day, all year round, what the humidity is inside. As soon as you see that edging up towards the 60 mark or beyond, you you, you switch on your dehumidifiers and you keep that humidity low. It means no moldy jackets. It means no moldy shoes. It means uh, bedding and cushions aren't getting damp and then growing mold. You are preventing mold from having a food source. Now, water damage is a totally different situation, leaks, flooding, etc. But most of us actually just have indoor excess humidity situations and mold is so easily prevented, preventable in those situations. So please check it out. 10% off low tox life. Not sure which one to get. You can even give them a call, talk through your floor plan, and they're going to help you out. They also have the Winix air purifiers, which are fabulous. Uh, and the other brand, oh my gosh, one of my favorite companies in the world that is supporting the show for the next couple of weeks is Dr. Bronner. Now, uh, I have a a very special affinity with Dr. Bronner back when I started exploring low-tox options uh, and reducing my everyday environmental toxin impact. uh, I started to see that it wasn't just about me and it was about choosing the kinds of products that were doing good for people and for the planet. And over the years, as I've uh, peeled back the layers of just how deep the work of a company like Dr. Bronner's goes... Uh, you can see how much they care. They don't care just about selling their soap and increasing their figures every year. It's about how they can help local economies and local communities build healthy, sustainable uh, networks for everything from medical care to education uh, to sustainable agriculture, regenerative agriculture. I've had Gero Lasson uh, on the show who walks us through just how deep their commitment to regenerative agriculture goes and how that links into uh, building strong communities around the world with their sourcing partners. Uh, and of course, I've had the gorgeous Lisa Bronner way, way back. I think it was episode number two or three on the show, uh, sharing the wonderful Dr. Bronner story. Um, and in fact, Lisa is joining us for one of our Lotox club member masterclasses. Uh, so if you're listening to this live, it's this week. And uh, you're not going to want to miss this one. She's sharing all sorts of cleaning hacks. Uh, We're talking about uh, living the life of uh, a low-tox parent when you've got kids and work and all sorts of things in the mix, how we prioritize, how we keep moving the needle for ourselves and the planet 
in this busy modern world and with busy family life. Uh, and I really can't wait for it. So if you want to join us in the Lotox Club, you can at any time. It's $49 a year Australian, which means about 30 bucks uh, American, 30 euro um, to give you an idea of different currencies. That's an annual price. And then you get our member masterclasses every month where you can ask questions, go deeper into Lotox topics. Last month, we had a fantastic homeopathy masterclass, for example. We've done PMDD, PMS, uh, so many really great practitioner uh, powwows as well. So you can join that by hitting lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab. First option there you'll see is join the club. Uh, so yeah, Dr. Bronner, one of my favorite products. I love the bar soap so much. It's one of the only soaps that doesn't you know, fall into a slimy, what's that expression? Slimy smithereens. Um, uh, within a few uses, it dries really nicely. You can cut little bits off for travel, which I love. Uh, and I love that ethos reminder, you know, you have etched in the bar of soap, all one. And I truly believe that the more we start to work on our overlaps and how humanity is in this together and how we can broaden the success metrics beyond growth and into people's health, community health, happiness, uh, and sustainable, healthy businesses, then we're really going to get somewhere uh, across many, many aspects of, of what it'll mean to future-proof our planet. So enjoy this conversation with Jeff Lieberman. I know you will. I can't wait to talk to our club members and you guys on social about it, wherever you're tuning in from. He's joining me from the East Coast of the States to have this conversation, and it's a very special one. Hello, Jeff. How are you? Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I can't wait to dive into the work you're doing right now, but to learn about how you got there is always interesting too. And as I was reading about you, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he's got four degrees. He's been a TV host. Some of your art, the the large installations are just incredible. Um, and and yet I know there's a personal journey of searching growth behind all of that success. I'd like to ask you right up front, what have you learned from success and the traditional idea of what that looks like? Because you've had a lot of it by other people's definitions, um, yet we often have a different story going on inside, right? Yeah, I love it. Um, I think it was Jim Carrey that said something about that he wishes that everyone could have total success in what their dreams are about so that they'd actually be able to find out that that's not going to solve all their problems. <laughs> but people can live 60 years with this dream thinking that this thing is going to finally make them feel whole and then they get it. And then you feel great for about two weeks, typically in the, in myself and in the, the people that I know that have really achieved this thing. There's like this high from it. But if you were doing those things secretly to try to avoid pain, it's it's not going to last. That's that's what I've learned is that ah. there's there's different forms of success, right? There's the external. I know most people these days know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, you, you don't care about social esteem until you have air and food and shelter. And then you start caring about your relationships more and your place in society. And what I have found is that all those successes pointed me towards the next 
gap in my own evolution and something that I was, you know, oftentimes avoiding unconsciously and keeping myself really active and really busy to uh, the, under the assumption that that was actually going to satisfy something. Oh, I couldn't, <laughs> that echoes exactly my journey as a multi-career passionate myself. It's, I, I always, um, once I'd done it two, three times, I equated it to like this idea of climbing a really tough mountain and like everyone else thought, wow, look, she's climbing that mountain. Whoa, she got to the top. And then you get to the top and I always had this sensation that I had climbed the wrong mountain. I'm like, oh shit. Like I didn't find what I thought I was going to find up here and I don't want to keep doing this. So I guess I got to find a new mountain, but actually the mountain is an externalization of a search that really should be happening inside. Yeah. The irony being like the more that the inside gets nourished, then those mountains are amazingly fun to climb, but it's not under the idea that the top is the important part, you know, like to be really concrete when I was doing art, I would say the first years of art, you know, just as a kid, it's just pure fun and flow. That's the whole reason you do it. You're not even imagining showing anyone anything. And then you, you get wrapped up in people seeing your work and then the ego identity that forms about them knowing you make that work. And then that gets really complex. And, you know, after years of that, it started to be clear that I just really liked solving puzzles and I really liked sawing wood and sanding it. And just like the moment to moment nature of the art what pulled me in in the first place but then it got superimposed with how how my ego was being fed and I was extricating myself out of those patterns that brought me back to the the more primal joy of it you know holding the balance between those two becomes the you know the growth mm. and did you feel like there were um some real lows in that discovery and that realization Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. So, because I mean, a lot of people glorify personal development these days and there's like shiny books and millionaires. And, um, and I, I think it's quite a gritty, lonely, sometimes awful journey, uh, as things get ripped apart and put back together in, in ultimately a way that feels more whole, but uh, along the way, not so much. Yeah. Well, there's uh, so much to say about that. Um, Carl Jung said there is no coming into consciousness without pain. And so I think pain is a necessary part of moving through conditioning and trauma and our family patterns, because those things usually we've been actively suppressing something. And so if we take our foot off of that brake pedal, there's a back pressure of things that want to come out, but we haven't felt safe enough to let them out. And so our patterning itself is saying that these things are a problem. That's why we've been pushing them down, but we don't even necessarily know this consciously. So there, I do find there are environments that make it way less suffering to let that out, but there's pain involved, right? But the difference between pain and suffering is the resistance we have to that sensation. You know, my, my feeling now when I go into deep sadness is gratitude and connection and it reminding me of the preciousness and and that everything that's here in the relative world will be lost and when i look at a close friend and i feel that sadness of there's going to be a last moment of interacting with this person it wakes me up to the beauty and gratitude of what's here 
And in Buddhism, they talk about the the Buddha nature inside all of the difficult emotions. And what what I find is that the more I do personal development work and clean my own system out from my own conditioning, the more you naturally just, I, I naturally tap into those Buddha natures of those emotions. So it's like, if you're not letting sadness in your life, when it naturally would arise at the loss of something, mm. you probably also aren't feeling a ton of gratitude in your life. Mm. Oh, wow. That's so good. Oh, it's wild. It just goes all the way Because I remember in one of my pits of despair in life, uh, I remember a friend gave me Khalil Gibran's book and it was transformative. I was like 25. I think I'd broken up with a long-term partner that we'd lived together and then decided to quit my job. It was one of those, like I called it my quarter life crisis where it just needed to wipe the slate clean, break everything and, and, and decide how I might put it back together. And um, the quote in there on sorrow, the deeper the sorrow carved, the greater the joy to fill um, is, whew, it's just stayed with me ever since. It's my little friend that reminds me in those moments it's it's time to it's time to be here and then we get to carve um something new mm. Mm. yeah when, when you say it it makes me remember you know what you said earlier in the question it's like i think where a lot of personal development goes wrong is they they focus so much on things like positive thinking and affirmation that secretly actually are getting co-opted by your trauma to avoid all of yourself and so you're you're under this ocean of potentially fear and sadness and anger that have never been allowed through the body. And you're trying to push further away from that to get a glimpse at the sun. But actually, those things are the only clouds that are getting in the way of the sun being there in the first place. So you know, what's really common in people's, uh, everyone I've seen when they go into personal development work, the first times that they go into something that they've been really resisting, like deep guilt or shame or rage or grief or whatever has been not allowed when they actually are, especially in a group environment and they are allowed to feel that for the first time and be held in it. The, the sun appears because the sun's always here. It's just all our minds, attitudes and bodies, attitudes about, are we going to let that through? Uh, Cause what's going to happen if I actually am open to everything that arises. That's what's so scary. Huge. And so in, in guiding ourselves through that, do you feel like there's an awareness you can develop where you know when to really just let the intensity of sadness and despair through your body and you also know, hold on, the sun is here, it's clearing? Like, because I've recognized in myself, I can only speak from personal experience. I'm certainly not a PhD in this subject, but. I feel like sometimes we can cross over into this indulgence state of despair and woe is me. Like how do we know when the timing is right to like break off the shackles, uh, mm. get out there and experience the sunlight? Yeah, it's a really, I mean, we could talk for an hour just about that one question. That's mm. super deep and it's been a really like a passion project of mine to distill out really what's going on there where are these lines between emotional avoidance and emotional indulgence and yeah. right in the in the center there there's a healing pathway exactly so many people in our society are so far on the side of repression that 
my first approximation is like, let it out and yeah, and okay. see what happens. Yeah. Um, but that said, I think one key marker that seems to trap us in those indulgent patterns is that we don't recognize the belief we have in a story that's unconscious. And so I can secretly believe that I'm worthless and I can feel some sadness about a situation that affirms my worthlessness. But if I don't actually let myself directly feel and express the sense and belief of worthlessness, I won't be working at the root. I'll be cutting off these little branches of this gigantic tree and it'll usually feel better for an hour because I've let out the charge of my system, but I won't actually have dealt with the fundamental limiting belief of my nature itself. And that came usually from the first five years of my life. And if I'm not connecting with that, not only in my head with the beliefs that are there, but with my sensory system, my actual body in real time, uh, it won't move through. And what I've seen in, you know, I, I'm like geek out on the forefront of the evolution of working through emotions, you know, what are all the ways people do therapy and coaching and everything. So, and one of the elders at camp, which we'll talk about later, like uh, he developed a system called the bioemotive framework and the whole, you know, I'm going to massively overgeneralize his whole <laughs> huge system of emotional healing, but there's, there's different intelligences in the brain. You know, you have this human component and you have this mammal component and you have a reptilian component of your brain and they all have different needs. Mm. And it seems most potent to work through when you cohere all of those intelligences together. And so one thing that really, uh, and that's really complex. So I'll just like give a super concrete yeah. example. Nice. Thank you. One classic thing that happens is someone will find in the midst of an everyday thing, they'll find that the actual reason they're bugged is because it triggers that they feel worthless. And if that's just getting explored for the first time, the first way it'll come up is I am worthless. And if they say that out loud and it's really resonant in their body, they'll sob in some way because it'll be an unseen iceberg of frozen life force that they've been not letting in. Because if you think you're worthless, how much do you make all your decisions in your whole life based on that belief and therefore reaffirm all the time the worthlessness? That's how mm. beliefs work. So what's amazing to watch when you when you do this kind of work is it goes from I am worthless to I feel worthless. And that itself is a disidentification where it's not your identity anymore. Now it's a cloud and you know, mm. it's a cloud, so your identity starts to split apart from that, but only through feeling it. Now, if I have a story about someone bugged me at work and it secretly triggered my sense of worthlessness, but I, I'm not making that connection. I can be angry at that person at work for 20 years yeah. And I can feel that anger every day and it will never resolve me through the feeling. It will just be indulgence in the leaves and the branches of the tree. Mm. Yeah. Joe Dispenza talks about, uh, you know, two different people having the same experience. And one of them keeps telling everyone they meet about how shitty the ex-husband was and what he did and yada, yada, and just, just becomes a part of their, exactly as you say, a part of their belief system and identity. They literally live through the reality of that every day. And the other person decides to grieve and weep and, and go through all of that, but has the moment where life must go on and what do I want for my life? And her story that she tells people is, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. 
he was an asshole. It was awful. Uh, but now I'm experiencing things I never imagined I could experience in my life. And it, it, for me, like that little example of um, uh, it shows the difference between like, yes, you still feel, yes, it still sucks. You absolutely must move through. And then there's the path. And you either choose to make it you and your reality and your belief, or you choose to make it a, 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 like a, a bump in the road that really sucked and hurt. Um, but the road goes on. Yeah. And what's, you know, the subtlety that I want to highlight in what you're saying is that the idea that the road goes on can arise in, in two different ways. One of them is like, I get enough of my bearings and I like, I got to get back to work. Right. And it's, there's this can be this internal forcefulness of like, okay, I mm. dealt with this stuff. Let me get back. And that's our society is so steeped in that kind of thing. And you know, the, it's just like, the, the words get back are really interesting to me and in what you just said there. Yeah. So like, you know, one of the things that pains me the most on social media, which shows up like almost every day is you'll see someone having an emotion and someone for sure will say, oh, don't cry, don't cry. You know, mm. like that's our default. And and we could be living in a society in an alternate reality that's like, oh, I'm here with you. Mm. And and your crying is is beautiful and wonderful. And I'm so glad you're waking back up to the gratitude for what's here in your life. Like it could be it's a very different vibes. Mm. Uh, what I find is that when people don't have that forceful attitude of I got to get back to to life, uh, but they actually without indulging the story, they get really into the root beliefs, life flows back in automatically, mm. you know, the natural joy, the natural curiosity, creativity, those things are are latent and you see them in every one year old. There's no one year old that's not motivated. They're ultra yeah. infinitely <laughs> um, and I know this for myself, like, you know, as I've felt through the different blocks, you know, icebergs in my own consciousness from my own conditioning, um, different aspects just wake back up naturally, you know, and this is happening all the time. I'm not done with evolution by any means. There's like uh, one thing that I'm working through a lot these days that I think it's really endemic to men, especially is like, um, uh, actually kind of everyone in, in Western culture, at least, I don't know how this is in Australia, but uh, wrestling with wants, you know, as a, as a man, are my wants safe in the world? Like, or is that an imposition? And as a sensitive man, like, how do I not overstep the boundaries of wants and how do I respect things with wants? And that's not just relationally, but it, it gets everywhere. It's like, you know, mm. how do I negotiate my wants? Are they selfish and narcissistic? Are they necessary for every everyone to be happy? That sort of thing. So what I noticed is I was doing some sessions with a coach a couple of weeks ago around the underlying beliefs around those wants. And we finished the session and, you know, without really thinking about it the next day, I just wrote this email to a bunch of friends and I was like, hey, I have these seven wants. Like, can anyone support me with these seven things that are on my mind? It was just a natural outflow of feeling the resistance to the wants and actually the sadness and fear of what will happen if I engage those wants. Wow. And just melt and then all of a sudden the world is more, the sky is more blue. It sure is. Uh, did How were the responses, if you don't mind sharing? Oh, amazing. Even, I mean, yeah. even before the specific seven things that I had asked about, 
like five people responded and they were like, this is, I love this email, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. I would love to get that from rare. a friend. I would love yeah, to get that rare. email. Yeah. It's rare. Well, you make me think of, um, I'm, I'm really interested in games for transformation because I feel like the world's never going to be like very workshop heavy compared to if you had ways to play games with your friends that connected you more deeply, like everyone wants to connect more deeply with their friends. So I've been working on that. And you just reminded me of a game that if I think of like, what's one super simple game that people could try playing if they listen to this and they just want to try it with a friend. Um, it's a game called I want mm-hmm. and the game is, um, you just hanging out with your friend, you're doing whatever you want. It's not like a separate game you play, but whatever you're doing, you're also playing this game I want. And all you're doing is at the end of each person speaking, whatever they're saying. So I'm saying something right now. And when I'm done with this, I'm then going to add one more sentence. That is the sentence stem I want. And it explains what I wanted by saying what I just said. Mm -hmm. So right now I'll say, I want to give a clear enough explanation that people try this out and get excited about games for deeper connection. Nice. So if you have a conversation like that with someone for a half hour, it's going to change your whole relationship because all the unconscious wants start to get dredged up. And you realize that half the things you're saying are to try to get love from the other person and find deeper connection it just dredges it all up. It's an amazingly fun uh, game and it works amazing for conflict as well. I had a conflict with someone who played that game and us just owning the wants under all the like defended language. Mm. It's just cleared it in 20 minutes. It's like, oh, wow, you just want to be seen as a good person. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. That's easy. <laughs> and I'd imagine you then find your overlaps and commonalities much more clearly. Oh, yeah. 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 You know the story, there's a, there's a story of a, I wish I remember the name, but a Nobel Peace Prize winner who ended some civil war in a country that he was a a citizen of. And they brought him in. There's like two warring tribes. And the way that he ended the conflict with the warring tribes, he got them in a room somehow. And he asked the chief of the first tribe, what is the dream you have for your grandchildren? Mm. And then he asked the other chief, what is your dream for your grandchildren? And they all heard exactly the same thing. And yeah. that was the commonality with which they started the negotiations. Yeah. I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like the world needs a whole bunch of uh, depolarization workshops right now. So mm-hmm. many people in this defensive outrage, uh, no listening, shutdown, um, trauma uh, yeah. uh, uh, spirit. And um yeah. It's so polarized that people that uh <laughs> suggest depolarization are, you know, fought against. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I yeah. It's it's like, but you're wrong. Wrong about what? <laughs> exactly. We're just so used to like other is wrong. <laughs> and then that is the way people live. Uh, yeah. So I really love this want game. I think this would be a really beautiful like monthly date night as well with your partner. Yeah, I'm actually doing some composing. Well, that's great with your partner. I've been trying to uh, plan out some like speed dating events that are based around games, you know, mm-hmm. connection games. The games that we've come up with, there's 150 of them at this point. And it's like these games are very easy ways to just naturally be more of yourself with someone else. Anyone yeah. that tries the I want game will find out in 10 minutes something new about mm. their relationship um, without like pushing you past your own edges, you know? Yeah. 
that's it. Oh, very, very exciting. Thank you for sharing that one. Um, that, that was definitely not in our planned questions. I knew we were tangent. Um, so I want to kind of start talking about young people because uh, I know that there is a huge part of your work now um, working with young adults. But before we actually talk specifically about uh, the the camp that you have just launched, which is amazing, I want to talk about the concept of education um, because, yes, we have things that we, okay, I'm going to retract that little bit. You've mentioned by the time we're five years old a couple of times now. So we're learning, we're being educated in the home space and sometimes in early childhood centres, wherever that first five years is, is happening and what the breakdown is. How are we failing our tiny people before they even hit school and start formal education? What What are some of the red flags that you're seeing as you then help young adults go back mm. and uncover what some of the early conditioning might have been? Yeah. Thank you for the question. Um, the way you phrase the question makes me think of the fact that uh, the word education comes from educe, which is to draw something out of something. And so if you, as a listener, are, are thinking about your process of family and school, how much of that was bringing out the latent possibilities of yourself versus trying to fill you with yeah. things that you're going to quote, need to know for your success. Yeah, no, we are gorged like uh, foie gras ducks in, <laughs> in the current education uh, model for the most part in Western culture, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just dealing with just the material that we spend time on. You know, I mean, one of the things that brought me to the idea of this camp is that there's just entire lines of education that are untold in at least in standardized education. And so many parents don't know these things that they they can't be responsible to share them either um, because none of us were taught these things and they're, they're critical. But, you know, for example, how many hours did you spend, you know, learning math and how many hours did you spend learning how to work through conflict? And which one is more important as an, the average 40-year-old? I mean, you got to obviously be able to balance your books and things, but... How many of you are doing geometry proofs? <laughs> I'm, <anymore? laughs> I'm certainly not doing it through calculus and logarithms. <laughs> no, but like the nature of relationship and conflict is yeah. universal to humanness. I mean, and I don't even mean like fighting conflict. Like every time I have a business negotiation, you can see that as a type of conflict. Like I try to find a smooth way to uh, cohere with someone else. That's a, a that requires communication skills. It requires owning my emotions that come up and the intelligence associated with those emotions. So there's entire swaths of knowledge that are just being left on the wayside. And if you're really lucky and you have an enlightened parents and you have an enlightened community around you, um, you'll get this stuff. But from what I notice, you know, secure attachment is, is lowering in our world technology that's grabbing your attention is getting stronger and stronger. Like the forces that you have to fight to really hold your center are actually getting harder. Mm. And we, we're not balancing that with the skill set that is necessary for that. So the, the line I tell everybody is, you know, I learned quantum mechanics before I learned anything about my emotions. <laughs> I, was in my, crazy. I was in my physics major at MIT. I was learning 
literally how to solve these incredibly intricate problems about quantum mechanics. And no one told me I was repressing all my anger. Mm. And the toll that that took on my well-being was enormous. Yeah. And and how did that, that sorry, go ahead. How did that play out for you? Repressing anger at that age? How old are we talking by this point? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you trace it back, I was, I was seeing a shrink for insomnia at 10 years old because I was already ruminating so much in my head. That's, that's a downstream effect of repressed emotion, whether that be anxiety, grief, depression, uh, sorry, not depression, anxiety, grief, anger, whatever. Depression itself, the word itself means something's being held down. It's not the emotion on its own. It's the relationship to the emotions. And I didn't even learn that until my 30s. Um, there was no visual understanding of what was going on in my inner landscape. And so by the time I was 16, 17, I was suicidally depressed, um, doing fine. I was like a very highly functional person, but also would be ideating about you know guilt. And, and I didn't even know what I was just like, could not stop ruminating. And... So I was on antidepressants. I was seeing a talk therapist and these things, it was really nice to talk to someone and the chemical shift changed symptomatically what was going on, but none of that stuff got to the root of what was going on. None of it like really fundamentally reconnected me to my emotions and my body and and the connection between those. It's very, very easy to kind of disembodiedly feel emotions and not connect them through the full sensory system. Um, I didn't, I didn't know I had a body in that sense. I didn't know that the information coming from my gut and my heart was like just as critical as the voice in my head and upstream from it. Um, you know, Doug, one of the elders at camps has this line, uh, clear one, uh, frozen emotion, clear 10,000 thoughts. Oh, and that's good. It's good because if you're sitting in meditation and your mind's racing, that's downstream from emotional unrest. It's your heart that's unsettled and the mind is reacting to that because it's trying to solve the problem. But if you're not looking at the root of the problem, it's never going to have the tool set to solve the problem. So back to your question. Yeah, by the time I was going to college, I was depressed. I was on antidepressants. Um I kind of gave up on all those kind of traditional Western methodologies to deal with that. Um, I got into meditation, which took some kicking and screaming because I was such an atheist and, and the idea of meditation didn't you know, align with my atheist nature, which has since very dramatically changed. <laughs> um, but I got into meditation that started to access something deeper about well-being, but it still wasn't hitting the core. Then I started doing deep somatic emotional work where the full body and all the intelligences and sensations are included in the work. And that really started to transform a sense of well-being, but that, <laughs> that was years. And and the reason I wanted to put a camp together was because it shouldn't take 20 years to figure this stuff out. No. And, and the amount of uh, searching and money and trial and error, like not everyone is in the position to do that either. No. And as I said, we were fighting really large forces right now. And I don't mean like there's a fight. I'm just saying like the natural thing, if you don't have a lot of care and attention toward it, is that you're going to be pulled into a thousand addictions because our whole culture is a constructed set of addictions to try to 
placate the sense of unrest and disconnection that we feel because we're we're in an insane culture right now that's taking for granted its disconnection. And I think the people that are depressed are, or at least consciously depressed, are, are the ones that are feeling that sense of disconnection and craving a, a homeostasis where they're actually feeling loved and connected and safe again. And Johan Hari, the, the journalist that writes about depression, he says, yeah. when, we, when we label all of this as a chemical imbalance, Instead of telling someone that those signals are intelligent signals that are screaming for a deeper connection, we're telling them that they're broken in some way. We're totally devaluing the intelligence of all their emotions. And as far as everything I've ever seen, your emotions are beautifully intelligent. Every single one of them. It might not be skillful in its means to get those needs met, but the emotions are screaming for needs and wants to get met. And that's amazing and so lucky that we have that signaling system but we're so disconnected that we don't know the means to get those needs met yeah and that uh, i think there's an externalization hysteria in our present day culture where it's either everybody else's problem or everybody else is going to fix me uh, either way yeah, it it's, all, back to the- it's all out yeah. there it's not in here and how much do you think of your own experience uh, if you then look back to early childhood, there were were patterns and beliefs being formed at that point when you were very little? Yeah, that feels like the universal human experience. Mm. Um, one out of 100 million people probably grows up with two parents that have cleared all of their own conditioning and trauma, <laughs> but you're still in the culture's trauma mm. and your ancestral trauma and um no one gets out without trauma. And I don't mean just capital T trauma. I mean, complex trauma of being in a family of you. It takes us usually till we're 20 years old to realize our parents are just two human beings that were doing the best they could. Yeah. But when zero to seven, when you're building your whole model of how the universe works, you're taking all their limiting beliefs in as the way the universe works. If your parents are really anxious about connecting with people in the world. That's how you're going to probably be. Because you're just infusing yourself with that ocean of feeling all day, every day. So, yeah, there's no one that kind of gets around that. And it's, it's it's a lot of the work is like lifting your head above the water that you've been swimming in and saying, oh, wait a second, this is water. This isn't just the universe. This is water. Wow. Yeah. It's there's a lot to work through there. I'm like, do I want to ask another question? I think I actually <laughs> want to just give that some space. There's so much unpacked there. Um, and so let's talk about these late teen, early, early young adults now. Um, you know, you mentioned your experience. Uh, I think I was more of a an enthusiast running away from things I needed to learn about myself and that enthusiasm carried me to make it look nice on the outside, but really I needed uh, to do probably just as much work, right? And I think I think it just looks different from one person to the other and we have to start um, start by honouring that and, and meeting people where they're at. Um, how important do you feel uh, this early adult space is that you have now invested uh, so much of your smarts into by creating a space for them to heal and grow 
like you know you could have chosen any age uh yeah. you could have chosen yeah. fellow men in in middle age you could have you know like young adults what what made you go there was it your own memory of how tricky it was for you i i love this question because this to me was the core of the whole vision of this camp um COVID hit. I was living in California. I came back to Boston where I have a house and I was just like, what is next? You know, no one's spending time in, with each other at this moment. I just, just sat with it. Like, what is next for me? What do I want to do? I've been doing all this personal development work, starting to facilitate groups through, through moving through conditioning. And, and I really just sat and I, and there's two things that led me to this as a vision. And the first one was, as you said, this was where I could have used an intervention and it would have had the most impact on me. If right when I was going to college, someone was like, you know what? Things are insane. Like here's a little taste of human sanity and really what's under the surface that almost nobody's talking about, about human nature and about living your full life and what emotions even are and how to work with them. So that would have been a huge impact on my life. And I think given all the work that I did over the next 20 years, that it literally could have saved me 10 years of depression in one month to, to, we had a camper who told us that one lesson that we did ended her depression. <laughs> wow. Because of having no understanding of what it was and, and actually contextualizing it in a way, and then knowing immediately how to work with it instead of just like, I'm just a victim of this feeling, you know? Mm. So why does this take 20 years of personal development, weird esoteric workshops and stuff like this should be the, this should be like fourth grade. Now you're yes. game because it's starting to come online and as a 10 year, you know, so, so that's one, but the, the scientist in me chose this for very specific scientific reason. When you're younger than 18, first of all, you're a minor. So it's a much more complex relationship with your parents and your decision to come to a camp and a program and all this kind of thing. But you're also heavily in the field of the family. You're living at home. If you do a bunch of work on your family conditioning while you're living at home and you start to see through all the limiting beliefs and patterns and the ways that you've been holding yourself in, it, it might make things worse at home. And you can rubber band all this expansion that happened can smack yourself and really hurt. And so when I've worked with high schoolers, I've specifically not opened up that kind of material because you can learn a lot of tools still, but why open the family material up until someone's out? So that's aspect number one. Aspect number two is that right when you hit this age, you're, you're, off the charts interested in social dynamics. When you're 18, 22 years old, like, all you care about is social dynamics. It's like your tips and sex and, you know, it's like, it's all you care about. So it's really online. And you're also young enough that your brain is not finished through its like adult development and not that development ever stops, but there, you still have a couple of years where there's active, a lot of movement and, and malleability. The third aspect is that you are in a, typically you're leaving the house and you're going to a completely new social group. And so if you start to uncover and, you know, uh, dissolve some of these patterns that are running, and then you're meeting new people who don't know you in the other way, it's easier to them hold you to this version of yourself instead of this other version of yourself. And they're both just versions. So why not go with the one that's open and your heart is being shared and all this. Um, and then the fourth reason is that you haven't yet 
hammered in all your conditioned patterns for 20 more years, where then the work to undo them is harder because you've run that circuit 10,000 more times. So all these aspects for me just pointed all to the same 18 to 24 range as this Goldilocks zone, where in one unit of time, you can have more transformation than any other unit of time that I've been able to figure out. And this is just my, my scientific lens, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. So that's, that's a very thought, you know, very thought through um, plan of why to work with this age. Mm -hmm. And, and so let's talk about the camp, what it is, where it happens. Uh, We've said the word camp like four times now. I'm sure people are actually curious to know what this thing is. Yeah, I hope so. Um, It's called sleep awake camp. It's a pun on people going to sleep away camp, but the whole idea is awakening to yourself to the mm. to the deepest nature of yourself um so oh, it's lovely. A, yeah we got a fun fun logo and everything um but what is it it's we just ran the first season in the big island of hawaii mm-hmm. we're not we're not going to be doing it in the same location because we have to scale up next year so i can't say on the podcast right now where the next one's going to be but it's going to be almost definitely in the 48 contiguous states it's a month-long program. Mm-hmm. Did 14 campers the first run to have like a beta test to make sure the programming was really worked for everyone well, powerfully, effectively, safely. We had 14 campers and 11 staff. That's how incredibly wow. staff just really like bacon, like what can we do here? Um, that will scale to probably about 40 campers this next year to check different mechanisms for scaling. And it is a place, a month-long experience to learn all of the material that you could have learned in a different universe about the fullness of being human and about your well-being and about the nature of your relationships, about how to take care of yourself to the core. So that includes things like learning how to cook for yourself at the same time, uh, doing yoga and core work to actually get your physical system in check, eating a super clean diet. Um, we usually with all local ingredients to get to feel a month of that. What does that do to your body? Um, I'd say for the average young adult, that would be a huge awakening in itself. Oh yeah. Not to mention the, the day one, they hand us their phones. Mm. Most of their lives, they've never had a month of not being attached to their phones. Yeah. So that on its own, just being physically co-present with people moment by moment and having no other place to put that attention totally changes the nervous system. And we're doing some data studies right now to actually see like what kind of biometric shifts did we find on the first run from, you know, the the nervous system shifts a lot in a month from getting away from your phone. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the challenges, of course, are about integrating it back in the world when you do have a phone. Um, But just to flesh out that, you know, we do a lot of work around embodiment, what it is to get a deeper sensitivity to the sensations and emotions in your body, a ton of work around emotions and what the nature of emotions are, what the, as I alluded to before, what the intelligence inside every emotion is so that you can engage in a really positive and fruitful relationship with your emotions and use them as a guidance system Mm. for your life instead of use them as a, what addictions should I have to avoid XYZ emotion? Yeah. Yeah. 
or or as an ambulance kind of with an alarm going off, uh, you know, with a siren going off going, oh, this is wrong, shouldn't be feeling this, you know, which we're conditioned to react that way as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's so many rabbit holes to go in, but I, I want to finish fleshing out. The, no, no, do, do. Uh, All good. Um, the So there's tons around emotions and then there's a lot around uh, relational intelligence. And so that takes the emotional work and engages it in terms of, psychological projection like when i judge someone what does it actually mean about myself and you can't ever judge people in the same way once you really understand psychological projection so we do work around that work around boundaries and consent so that you actually can learn the felt sense of owning your own space and when people are trying to penetrate your space and what you need and how to own and know which most of us have never had practice in where we get to sit with different people and literally say no to things and get to feel oh, wow, I really want them to not get hurt when I say no. So I'm never saying no. And just all these like crazy dynamics that happen internally. So all these work around relational dynamics, including conflict and a lot of work around creativity. So most evenings are either movement or singing or uh, visual art creativity work so that we can really open that natural channel that we all had as two-year-olds once again, that a lot of us just say, I'm not an artist anymore. Uh. heartbreaking 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 I remember I remember my boy who is a beautiful singer oh my goodness he's 13 and his tone is stunning Uh, I'm a muso myself so I I just just hear it and you're like oh wow uh great pitch everything's amazing he was like singing the Darth Vader theme at the age of three I'm like those are pretty tough intervals kid (laughs) (laughs) um and when you know choir was like the thing he was most excited about in junior school and then year four he comes home one day and says to me well, it, the thing is, mom, the boy, being a boy at my school, I can't go to choir anymore. And I was like, excuse me, why? Um, because it's just not what the boys do. And I was just, ugh. It's actually, it's a huge emotion for me. And we changed schools. We actually literally just got out of that kind of environment because, um boys do whatever they should do from the heart uh, and and he needs to sing. So I wanted him to be somewhere where that was not a weird thing to do. Um, but, like, I'd imagine you get them at the age of 18 through 24 and you see a whole bunch of people who have been choosing things based on what they think they're supposed to do um, and what a gift it is to nip that in the bud then Instead of, as you say, we keep going with what we think we are and aren't supposed to do. And then it hits you like a ton of bricks in the middle age. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're just on whatever train you're on. And every day you're reinforcing your belief system. And if you're not looking at it, then you're just deepening those grooves in your neurons. So, yeah, it was amazing to have these campers all with very different backgrounds, especially regarding creative expression all of them singing, like Mm. making up words, improvising verses to improvise songs that the counselors were playing on instruments. So they could just practice like letting their voice out and, and being in an environment that really has nothing to do with achievement often for the first time, which is one of the biggest traumas around creativity is that it's good or bad. Yes. As a a finished thing. And and what parents often miss 
in the best interests of the kid is they see something beautiful and they say, that's beautiful. And that secretly programs achievement orientation into art instead mm, of that. that instead you just of enjoy doing that. Yes. Let's, let's celebrate you enjoy doing that. And so much trauma is perpetrated from the best interests of parents who are, are and community and environment. That's just, we don't know, you know, the programming is so complicated and the, the water that we're swimming in is so full of so many signals. Um, it's so, so true. Environment. It's so it's true. Environment where no one's going to judge anything that you do for 30 days and mm. to keep testing the waters. And, and you see this other person and he just took a big risk and everyone loved it. I'm going to take a big risk. That's what happens. And then it's what I call it the permission spiral. You just get into this groove of like every day people are taking these big risks with themselves and then they're finding themselves closer to everybody because of it. And that's the kind of the snowball effect that you really want to go for in an environment like this. Wow, Jeff. It's it, Wow. I, I Okay. So I want to ask you something here because um, if you go to the average year six, year seven, like kind of middle school classroom, if you have a brave idea or an exciting idea or you put your hand up to do the solo or, you know, all that kind of stuff, whatever it is, um, because there are still glimmers of spark, you know, at this this age, um, often you get shot down. You get either made fun of or who thinks they're, you know, all that for like going for the solo, like all the things, right? We get shut down. Why are we shooting each other down? as young teens, like what, where does it come from? It's so toxic. Yeah. I had a memory. Uh, I was visiting my family in Florida and I was having memories of elementary school. And this, this girl that was in my third grade class or fourth grade class that I was, I was making fun of, you know, and I was totally unconsciously just like, we don't like her, you know, that sort of attitude. Yeah. And and I felt back into it and I was just like, you know, let me just open here. Like what was going on underneath? And it was like, oh, she was popular. I wasn't popular. And it's like, we think, we believe at that age, especially our consciousness hasn't evolved to like a kind of modern perspective. It's, it believes in dominance hierarchies, that those are actually the important things and that you have to put other people lower to gain status almost always that's what's going on is that someone feels low status internally. They don't feel good about themselves internally. And so they need to make other people feel bad so that their status goes up relatively. And unfortunately that doesn't serve anyone in the long term. It just makes someone feel good for that 10 minutes, but that's how a lot of these things work. And so what you're then providing them a few years down the track is, the space to feel into what it feels like to not feel popular, but at the same time um, to feel into the bravery of just being a hundred percent yourself from the heart and whatever comes out gets celebrated. Like that's yeah, what huge. You, what you find is that some people will go away if you're fully yourself, but then other people get closer yes. that want yourself. They actually want yourself. So you don't have to play the masked version of yourself to get everyone kind of kind of near you you can be fully yourself and get people all the way close to you and then it's the first time you're actually in connection anyway because you've just they've just been connecting with your 
your mask anyway. Mm. So we feel disconnected because every time we hang out with our friends, we're, we're think we have to do X, Y, and Z in order to get connection. And so we're disconnected, guaranteeing disconnection in the relationship. And then that's how a lot of those kind of teenage relationships go around. There's so many rules internally that I can't tell you how many times I work with a high school or a college student where they're, they're so deeply craving more connection and everyone in their group, in their peer group is too, but none of them will be the first person to say it because it feels weak and it feels like it could be rejected. Hmm. And And so so like, who's going to be first to say, Hey, I'm craving deeper connection with you guys. And I feel like we're floating on the surface of things. That's scary as hell to be the first person to say. Well, that explains why drugs and alcohol are such a huge player in that age group, because it seems to be that those are the things that help free those inhibitions. Yeah. Yeah. And it does that. It, you know, it, people wouldn't use them if it didn't function yeah, in that right. way, but it does it in a short term. Um, and it does it, it like, I don't even differentiate drugs and alcohol from phones and work and whatever. It's like, whatever, it's about the mental relationship with the thing. You can have a healthy relationship with your phone or an unhealthy relationship with your phone. It depends if your phone is owning you or you're owning your phone. And the same thing happens with drugs. The same thing happens with work. Like how many people use work to stay busy so they don't have to sit still and feel unsettled? You know, that's like huge in in Western world as well. So all these addictions, all these attachments that we have in the mind, you know, it's all, there's a Jeff Buckley song called Satisfied Mind. And I love that song. It's just all about, you know, when you asked about success initially in the, in this recording, like there's this internal sense there, there is so much external success. And when you get home at the end of the day and you're about to go to sleep and you're just sitting at the edge of your bed, like how satisfied is your mind with just existing? That's a whole different kind of joy than, Oh, I like this work when I'm busy with this work, you know, like that's, that's the kind of joy that's become paramount for me. And it, and it seems to lead to all the other joys in the world. Beautiful. And, and so a month, like how, how did your first group of campers go with, with that joy by the end? Like, what did the end look like? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and you're reminding me, I didn't even finish all the tracks. So just to say the last track, I think I didn't mention is self-awareness, meditation, metacognition, actually learning about your relationship with your thoughts, which is totally unexplored territory and so hugely critical for mental health that it's hard to overstate. Um, So yeah, how did it go? Um, This is one of those incredibly difficult questions to answer. It's kind of like saying like, Alex, how's, how's your whole life been? Um, It was, it was a blur and a whirlwind and I've never been more joyful in my adult life than working with these young adults and with the staff who was just so incredible and, and literally set setting up a tribal sense of community of 30 people that, you know, including three kids we had on campus as four, six and eight year old kids of the council working with kids and learning how to play with kids is also a part of the education you learn there. Um, It was a sense of community that I've never seen in my adult life where like, not only am I 20 feet away from all these 
deep friends and not only our every day we're really like lifting the surface and going deeper and deeper with each other but we're just feeling like a big family and i would say i left that summer feeling so clear about the mission of camp and the effectiveness and almost to the point of like is this too intensely powerful because to come back to the world after it was really really hard for almost everybody you know almost across the board and one of the things we've designed into the program just to say is a nine-month integration program after the summer because just bye-bye go home after camp is, is not setting up people for success because they've just gotten on these new legs and you really need to kind of come back to fundamentals over and over and over to start grooving these as the new pattern you'll just go back to old pattern so yeah it was so powerfully effective that most people went through some kind of uh vulnerability hangover you could say or like a integration challenges deeply including counselors i mean it was really hard for me to come back after a sense of that community and live in a house by myself again uh, so yeah hard to overstate. i would say one of the most interesting findings we've been doing a data study on it um 80 of the campers said it was the most transformational experience of their life um 100 of them said it was the highest satisfaction that they could rate. Um, and one of the most interesting things that showed up on the data study was we study um, the like real-time levels of anxiety, depression, and stress that are existing in your life. And what you see in most campers is significant shift in all three of those. And how do you how do you measure that? Is it with heart math? Is it with something else? No, we did it all. Uh, I wrote a questionnaire that's based on universal standards, gold standard studies that all of the people in the psych department at whatever university would use. So that one, for example, is called the DASS. It's a depression, anxiety, and stress score. And that's just an utterly standard questionnaire. And so we did it before, we did it after, and we're going to do it again in a couple months to really see long-term shift. But one of the most interesting things for me is there was significant reduction in depression, anxiety, and stress. But in some people, it went way up. It didn't go down. And when I looked at uh, who that was, it, it seems to be, and I have to work with like a data scientist to figure out how to work with this kind of data. It seemed to be the people that had the most unconscious anxiety, depression, and stress. And they were repressing it so deeply that when they took that score, it was like, oh, no, things are fine. And then once they opened the doors, they realized things have never been fine. And so that's part of the challenges with integration as well. I mean, we've had people who I, we had a lesson on, uh, you know, the, the nourishing aspects of touch and how just being in contact with human beings can nourish your nervous system and and one of the campers immediately went and broke up with their boyfriend and realized that they were in a toxic relationship only because they didn't believe they could get touch from their friends. And that changed relationship. Um, we had a lot of people leaving and immediately want to drop out of the program they were in because they realized all the only reason they were in it was because of this achievement orientation brainwashing that they had gotten from their dynamics. And this is why there's so many challenges with integration, because someone may realize that 80% of every decision they've ever made was actually not in their best interest, and it was following programming. And my attitude is find that out when you're 20, not when you're 50. 
those are really easy turns to make comparatively when you haven't grooved your whole life and your 30-year career um, because you felt uh, inadequate and you wanted to look smart. And that was the whole thing driving your career, for example. Like, um, better to find that out, feel through the pain of it early and, and then course correct. I could go on and on about, uh, you know, camper experiences. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. So whatever, wherever you want it to. Yep. Well, I actually, I'm very excited about this camp and we will, of course, be uh, sharing all the details for um, people who want to check it out. But as you were saying that better to do this at 20 than, than um, course correct at 50, I'm thinking about the fact that there'll be more 50-year-olds listening to this right now than 20-year-olds uh, who, with everything we've unpacked, might feel a curiosity around exploring course correction um, in your midlife. Um, if you can, can you share a little bit about how that might look for someone who can't come on your camp. Um, but, you know, people need to do this work at all sorts of ages, right? Yeah. I mean, I, ha I, I feel like it, I don't know a person who isn't benefited by looking internally, mm. you know, with so much, as you said, so much of our lives is looking outside. And so the first thing I'd say is, what we've realized is we can't run summer camp year round. And so we may actually eventually flesh this out with adult programs doing the same kind of thing. I can't tell you how many people we've told that are above 24 mm. that are like, when is my camp? When is this ready for me? <laughs> I want to go on so, camp. Yes. Oh, yeah. So I, and I still haven't <laughs> found a program that's this kind of multidimensional mm. thing where you're doing all this work, but you're, you know, emotional work, but you're also learning how to cook at the same time. And you're also learning how to strengthen your core. So your posture. So I haven't seen that kind of thing. It's really like a boot camp. So the first thing I'd say is if that's of deep interest to someone, um, sign up on our list maybe a year from now. There's some other offerings. We yeah, definitely yeah. Talk about it. Um, but there are so many programs out there that if someone can really find the core thing that they really feel like needs the most attention, that I really recommend doing an intensive um, over... I think all the kind of coaching and therapy are are beautiful, but the kind of change that you can create per unit time, if you do like a week long or, you know, longer even especially, but if you can do a week long immersion somewhere, you'll get in touch with a, a North star of yourself that then when you get back into the kind of regular day to day, you remember, you don't forget it. It's like when people have psychedelic experiences and they're like, I know everything's connected now. I just got to keep working on myself to remember it every moment. Um, so in the same sense, any work that someone can do to look at themselves, I think will benefit them. And it's like, to me, it's the deepest investment because it's literally the scientific mind that I, I have. I say it's you're working on the operating system of yourself. Everything else that happens is happening inside that operating system. What could be more potent than working on the very system that's interpreting your whole reality and cleaning that out? So I, I don't know a better gift that someone can give themselves. Me neither. So going back to camp, cast your mind back to all of the moments, all of the interactions, epiphanies, breakdowns, uh, realizations, hugs, crying, all of the things that you would have seen over that month and, and been a part of. Can you share one? 
that literally just pops into your mind right now about one interaction with a camper and 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 just give people a little window into what that is yeah yeah okay it yeah it's not a it's not a two sentence story but i think it's worth the uh i think it's worth the explanation yeah first what i'll say is um i i want to say this at the outset i said everyone puts their phones away Mm. There's a little caveat to that. Every Sunday afternoon, there's a couple hour window where they get a chance to use their phone and call their family and friends and just have a connection. So it's very like uh, purposeful. It's not an accidental. I'm going to fall into Instagram for eight hours. Um, and we do that because we want to integrate things in the world as they're processing them. You don't just want to leave after the end and then have your whole life in shambles. So we do that. And before we do that and, and, just trying to make sure I want to say this in case anyone shows up at camp. We 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 do letter writing exercises at different times um, where that's another way they get to integrate. And then when we give them their phones, they have an opportunity. Maybe they actually want to call and read that letter to that person in that moment. And I can't tell you how many times that happened. And someone totally changed the relationship with their dad or their sister or whatever. Um, really beautiful. So that's all the kind of external context you need for the, for this little story. <laughs> Um, one of the campers came to me and, and a lot of these people have never been really deeply open about the hardships that's going on in their lives. Right. So one of them came to me and, and he said he wasn't, he wasn't ready to get into some really deep stuff with the campers yet. So he just wanted some one-on-one time. And I said, of course, let's go over here. And, and for an hour we spent together, I think it was the first time he ever really let out some of these secrets going on in his lives. And, and, you know, I'm keep all the details out for his privacy, not saying his name, but, you know, a lot of abuse in the family and learning about that led to an abusive relationship with his own sibling. Uh, and then he was kind of estranged from her, like distant and not in communication. And and as he let all this out and, and owned up to the abuses that he felt responsible for and the, the sobs came and the guilt came and he was seen by somebody who wasn't judging him in that, he for a half hour sobbed and then for the next half hour was, was laughing his ass off and just like felt the freedom of not bearing that weight on his shoulders. And this was just, just sharing it for the first time, you know, just being held and and but this was really him feeling responsible for being abusive. I have to be really clear about that. It's not about being abused. He felt like he was abusive as a kid. And this was 10 years earlier as a little kid. Um, and so he was so light on his feet. You know, he, he finally felt that kind of resolve of like, OK, it really makes sense. I can feel through things. And then there really is a bright sky that appears because until you feel that it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Okay. That's part one of the story. Part two, a couple of weeks later, we're doing a letter writing exercise and the letter writing is an apology letter. Like who is someone that you owe an apology to? Now this guy comes up to me and he says, I've, I've been thinking through everyone, but I don't owe anyone an apology. And I'm like, what? Okay. Uh, are you open to some feedback? And he says, of course, because he was so full of integrity that he wanted to be coherent in every relationship. And uh, it's going to make me cry every time I think about it. Um, I said, well, you told me about this abusive relationship with your sister and don't 
don't you feel like you'd want to, or not, don't you feel like it wasn't even agenda. It was like, do you feel like you, uh, she would be needing an apology for that? And he said, oh, um, I called her right after we talked and resolved everything with her. Um, everything's really good with her. It went so smoothly that I didn't even feel like I needed to tell you about calling her, but we're good. So that's off the list. Uh-huh. Tick. <laughs> so that's the kind of stuff that was happening like every day at camp, like unraveling these patterns with family, connecting with them, like mm. pulling those things up and changing the relationships. And every single day, this was happening multiple times a day. And just be, it became laughably funny that it was like, oh, wow, the fifth major, you know, transformation today since breakfast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that was one of my favorite stories about how he just like to took total ownership. Once he felt the feelings, what mm. to do in your life is often really clear. And he just acted on it and there was instant change in the relationship. Sorted it out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So powerful. Jeff, I can't thank you enough for joining me to to talk about your own experience, but also what you're doing uh, with young adults to help them, uh, course, correct early, as you say. I think it's so special that they have the opportunity and uh, I think about, what was it, 13, 14 campers? Yeah, as your, as your beta um, group, uh, I mean, we need this for all young adults. I'm already thinking, okay, my boy's 13. I really hope Jeff's still doing this camp in five years. It's like, you know, we get them straight into uni and then just keep gorging them with stuff. And you just think, no, like you just, I'm a big proponent of gap years. And like, maybe even if you don't really feel passionate about a university course, why go? Like just explore for a while, get in touch with what really wakes you up, create sparks. Um, and I just think you have chosen such a powerful age to focus on. Um, really, really special. So thank you for the work you've decided to do in this next chapter. Yeah, thanks for saying all that. It's a, it's a real pleasure. I can't imagine not doing it five years from now because it's so fulfilling work. Mm, that is good um, to know. Thanks, thanks deeply for the curiosity for what we're doing. Welcome. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.